Good morning, Church 214. I wish this was a series about bigs. I know that was said last week, but I think it's a great idea. Maybe we should make it happen. Man, I just, uh, I love that song. It is, it's so definitive. I have set my heart on you. I just, I love that. I think that's so awesome. I wasn't planning on saying that, but I just love that song so much. So I'm just going to pray right now real quick, and then we're going to get started. Father, thank you for who you are. Lord, a God that is so worthy of our worship. Thank you for your word that you have so graciously given us. God, I pray that it would pierce our hearts. It is living and it is active. So, Father, pierce our hearts this morning with your word. Lay us open. Pray that you would change us and mold us into the men and women that you are calling us to be. God, I pray that your words would not return void, but they would accomplish what you have set them out to do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, this morning, as Taylor said, we're continuing our series on David. And uh, Heather preached a great message last week on the anointing of God. And if you missed it, uh, you can go online to our podcast. We have all of our messages on there, so you can listen to it there. If you didn't miss it and you were here, uh, you'll probably notice some common threads interwoven between our messages. Um, I'm part of the teaching team here at Church 214, and what we do is we get together every quarter and we uh, just discuss what God has laid on our hearts, and we uh, kind of plan what series we're going to do for the next quarter, and we plan who's going to preach, and then that's it, and God kind of takes it from there. And without fail, week after week, uh, by the prompting of the Spirit, the, our, our message are, messages are just woven together, and uh, I just love being a part of seeing how God is working uh, through the teaching team to bring God's Word to you, and so I'm just, I'm pumped about that. Well, this morning what I do is I want to highlight several of David's relationships, because while David was a great man in his own right, I would argue that most, if not all, of his greatness was actually because of the relationships that he had. Now, I know where I am today because of the relationships that I've had in my life. Obviously, my parents uh, were a massive part of shaping uh, who I am. But it was also the relationships that I chose to be in and to pour into that I am the man that I am today. And maybe somebody needs to be reminded of that this morning. You choose your relationships. Whether good or bad, you choose. How well are you choosing? Now, in my life, I've been blessed with some of the best friends that anybody could ask for. My family could tell you uh, that... Uh, uh, my friends were actually uh, quite a special group of friends. Um, some of them I knew from grade school all the way through high school, and I still keep up with them to this day. Friends where the, your relationship is just so natural and so authentic that when you're with them, you're, you're, just, you're built up, you're filled, you're encouraged in God. Friends that would drop anything at a heartbeat to come help you and you would do the same for them. Friends where you can talk to them for hours and not run out of things to talk about and never get bored about what you're talking about. And I've had mentors in my life, people that have uh, spoken such wise and biblical counsel over me and it's through, sh through investing in those relationships that they have shaped me into the man that I am. And I believe that God will continue to shape me into the man that God has called me to be. Now, I know that I'm risking sounding like your mom or dad uh, when they've given you a talk so that sounds something like this. Now, now, Timmy. Yeah, the kid's name's Timmy. Um, yeah, 
You need to be careful what kind of friends you choose. Because if you choose bad friends, you either end up on drugs or in jail or living in a van down by the river. <laughs> now, now you laugh, and it is funny, but it's true. And the Bible has such a wealth of information, so many things to say about the relationships that you have and how that can change the trajectory of your life. So now we're, we're uh, in this series, David, as you know, and we're talking about David, and David wrote most of the Psalms. And many of the Psalms actually speak directly about relationships. And the first Psalm is entirely about relationships, and so that's where uh, I want to start this morning. So let's read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish somewhere. You see, your relationships are taking you. And David warns us in Psalm 1 against walking with the wicked, standing with the sinner, and sitting with the scoffer. Now, I know that scoffer is not really part of our uh, common vernacular, and I have a decent grasp of what scoffer meant, but I thought I would look up a definition to help myself and help you. <clears throat> so a scoffer is someone that is disagreeable, contemptuous, or has no respect for anyone or anything. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Now, to be clear, David is not saying here that we should never have any dealings or relationships with people that aren't Christians. That's not what David is saying. But in the Hebrew, the verb tense that is used connotates for sit, stand, and walk that you are actually standing shoulder to shoulder, believing what they believe, saying what they say, doing what they do. The trajectory of your life is the same as theirs. There is no recognizable evidence that you are living a different life than they are. There is no evidence that you are living as a Christian. And David warns in verse 4 that they will be blown away like chaff, and in verse 6 that they will perish. And if you are standing with them, if you are sitting with them, or if you are walking with them, the trajectory of your life is the same as theirs. You may also perish with them. But the man or the woman who does not surround himself with those kinds of relationships or herself with those kinds of relationships, but rather delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it, they will prosper in everything and they will grow strong and the roots of the tree grow deep, feeding off of the stream that it's planted next to. And no matter what life throws at him, its leaf will not wither. It will not survive, but it will thrive, and it will bear fruit in its season. You see, the relationships that you are choosing are taking you somewhere. Are they leading you towards a stream of life? Or are they leading you towards destruction? Now, this is a speculation, but I believe that when David was writing this psalm, he was thinking about his own relationships. 
ones that he either chose to be in or not to be in, and, and what effect that had on the trajectory of his life. So we've, well, this is the second week we're talking about David, and we have many more weeks to talk about him. And some of you may be thinking when we're talking about David, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I am right now. You don't know the crap that's in my past. I am not cut out to be a David, nor will I ever be. Fair enough. I'll give you that for now. But if not a David, what's stopping you from being someone's Jonathan? What's stopping you from being someone's Samuel or someone's Nathan? See, maybe you aren't called to lead a nation or a church, but you have been given gifts and abilities that are specific to you that are essential for the life and success of this church, of your family, of your marriage, of your workplace, or whatever setting that you have been placed in. Let me say that again. You have been given specific abilities specific to you that are essential for the success and life of this church, of your family, of your workplace, or wherever God has placed you. So let's look at some of the relationships that really impacted David's life. These are the kinds of relationships that turned a shepherd boy into a man after God's own heart. And I believe that they can do the same for us as well. So I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. Now for a little bit of background, Heather uh, covered uh, some of this last week, but uh, we are dumb and we forget. So I'm just going to touch on it real quick. So a little bit of history here. The nation of Israel has been governed and ruled for the last several hundred years by prophets and judges. But the people became complacent because they didn't have a king like other nations. And so God said, fine, I'll give you a king. And he instructed Samuel to anoint Saul as king over Israel. And that went well for a short while. But Saul repeatedly disobeyed God. And because of his repeated disobedience, God rejected Saul. So God came back to Samuel and he says, I'm done with Saul. That's over. Go and find me another king from the sons of Jesse. And so Samuel obeys and he goes to Jesse. And Jesse uh, brings uh, his sons in front of Samuel. And Samuel thinks he has some pretty good ideas about who should be king. First couple sons walk by and he's like, man, that guy's handsome. He's tall. The people would respect him. He would make a great king for our nation. But God does not see the way that we see. And thankfully, God's plans are so much more amazing than we could ever dream of. And so finally, seven of uh, Jesse's sons are, are paraded in front of Samuel, and Samuel comes up empty. God doesn't want any of them. And so he finally says, Jesse, are you hold out on me, bro? So far, I've got seven sons in front of me, and I can't take any one of them. And Jesse says, yes, there is one more. David, but he's with the sheep. You see, in this day, shepherds were some of the lowest members of society. And David's family thought that all David was good for was watching sheep. And so when Samuel uh, came to the house, they didn't even think to invite David because there is no way that Samuel would want anything to do with a shepherd boy. And that is where we pick up in verse 12. So again, it's 1 Samuel 16, verse 12. <clears throat> and it says this, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes 
and was handsome. If you asked my wife, he probably looked something like me. <laughs> kidding. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So Samuel sees, or Samuel sees David, and God says, that is the one that I want. He is the king that I want over my people. How cool is that, that, sh- that David was literally moments ago in a pasture shepherding sheep, and God brings him into his dad's house, and he says, you are the next king. It's pretty sweet. And Samuel listened to God, and he anointed David. And when someone was anointed with oil, Heather covered this last week, but when someone was anointed with oil, it was an outward expression or symbol that they were called or chosen for a specific purpose. You see, you need someone in your life that is ahead of you that definitively calls you out of where you are into something greater. That definitively calls you out of where you are into God's plan for your life. And then we see in verse 13 that after Samuel anointed David, that David was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you have someone in your life that when you are with them, they point you so clearly to Jesus and speak so much truth over your life and they call you and encourage you so well towards God's purpose that you are filled with the Spirit? So you need to have a Samuel in your life. If you don't have a Samuel, pray for one and look for one. Or maybe there's somebody that you need to be a Samuel to. Maybe there's somebody in their life who is looking for a Samuel and you're supposed to be that for them. Now one of the most well-known relationships that David had was with Jonathan, Saul's son. So let's turn to 1 Samuel Chapter 18, verses 3 through 5. Now a little bit more background again. David has just killed Goliath with a sling and a stone. And the armies of the Philistines are fleeing in front of the armies of Israel. And after that victory, David is brought in front of Saul and Jonathan and and the the court and his uh, servants. And they have a little bit of dialogue. And then after that dialogue, the Bible says this about David and Jonathan. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. Because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it's well documented in the Bible that David was an absolute stud when it came to warfare. He was amazing at not only leading his troops in battle, but in his personal skills in combat. But what people often forget or overlook is that Jonathan was also a mighty warrior as well. Sometime, I don't have enough time to read the whole story, but sometime look at 1 Samuel chapter 14. That's 1 Samuel chapter 14. And in this story, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, two guys, sneak away from the armies of Israel. And they single-handedly climb a mountain, taunt an entire Philistine outpost, attack the outpost, two guys, 
And the Bible says that within half an acre, they kill 20 dudes. So that, that's much less than the size of this room. And they just, just wipe out 20 Philistines. They're laying waste to this outpost and they are untouchable. And then God actually sends an earthquake and the Philistine army goes into a panic. And it, and it says that Saul and the armies of Israel are watching on a separate ridge and they feel the ground shake and they look over at the outpost and the Philistines are just pouring out of the outpost. And it says that the armies of the Philistines looked like they were melting away. All because of what God did through Jonathan. So to me it sounds like that Jonathan is not only a per personally skilled in combat, but that God was also with him. And this is huge. So what does that matter when we talk about 1 Samuel 18, 3 through 5, when, when Jonathan gives up his robe, his sword, his bow, his armor, and his belt all to David? Why is that so significant? Because Jonathan also recognized that God was with David. And that the throne of Israel did not belong to his father and did not belong to himself. Jonathan also recognized David's potential and was not afraid of his potential. See, in this day, it was ubiquitous that when a new king would take the throne, the new king would kill all the heirs of the previous king. He would wipe them all out so they would have no challengers to his throne. And Jonathan would have definitely been the most direct challenger and therefore the first to go. But rather than fearing David's success, Jonathan gave up everything that was essential for him in battle. Everything that made him effective, the tools that gave him meaning and position and belonging within the army so that David could be successful. So that David could better serve and lead his people. Jonathan's love and respect for David surpassed his own desire for safety, for acknowledgement, and for notoriety. And I think that that is so awesome because in this church we are all about equipping people. We are all about coming alongside them and helping them and encouraging them and helping them in their walk with Jesus and giving them the tools they need to build his kingdom. So maybe you aren't a David, but what's stopping you from being a Jonathan? From laying down the gifts that God has given you and equipping someone else to succeed, to recognize the gifting that God has given them and equipping them to excel even if they will overshadow you. I also want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16 through 17. Now, if you remember from last week, uh, David uh, became quite popular with the people, and Saul became very jealous and thought that David was a threat to his throne, which he was. And so Saul actually became so jealous that he tried to kill David, and he failed and so David fled into the wilderness for his own life, and that's where we pick up in verse 16 of chapter 23. It says this, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father knows this. So it says that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. So what does that mean? First, Jonathan was just simply there for his friend. And this was a big deal. David is his father's number one enemy right now. And Jonathan leaves the palace and leaves Jerusalem to go to be with his friend. 
Sometimes just being there is enough. But more importantly, he reminded David of God's promises on his life. He reminded David of the life-changing event when Samuel anointed him with oil and he received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And because of that anointing, that David's ultimate destination was not to die in the wilderness, but to one day rule as king over Israel. Do you have someone in your life that strengthens your hand in God that is just with you when you need them to be? Or somebody that reminds you of God's promises that brings you back to God's calling on your life? Are you a Jonathan for other people? Do you encourage someone and call them back to God's promises on their life? So you may not think that you're a David, but why not be a Jonathan? Now, another relationship I want to highlight is David's relationship with Nathan. Now, by this time, uh, Saul and unfortunately Jonathan have both been killed in battle, and, and David has taken the throne over Israel. And Nathan is, is the current prophet of the day. He's Samuel's replacement, if you want to think about it that way. And the first interaction we see between them is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in the first several verses, uh, David is asking God if he should uh, build an ar- a temple for the ark. And so God uh, gives David his answer through Nathan. And so he sends Nathan to David to give his answer. And we pick up here in verse 8, and we're going to read through 16. Now, I know that's a lot, but there's some great stuff here. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. So this is God speaking through Nathan to David, and he says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Pause. If God says... I'm speaking. It's time to listen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. From following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel and I have been with you wherever you went and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall not afflict them as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall shall come from your body, And I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, who I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your kingdom will be established forever. Man, what an encouraging word for David to hear. Through God's prompting, Nathan reminds David where he was in the pasture. And through God's grace and provision where he is now seated over the throne of Israel. And not only that, 
But the Lord tells David, I will continue to bless you and continue to give you favor. Your throne will be established forever and your children and their children and from generation to generation will feel my favor and my blessing and I will not remove my presence from them. That is an amazing promise. But if you continue to read in 2 Samuel, David soon gets mixed up with Bathsheba. Just a few chapters after Nathan speaks this amazing word over David, reminds him where he was and where he has taken him and where he has taken his family and the promises that will be over his family and the blessing that will be on his family. Chapters after Nathan gives David that word, he makes the biggest mistake of his life. So what happened? Turn to 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. Now it was the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, but David remained in Jerusalem. And the very next verse says that David got off the couch in the palace and he saw Bathsheba. And everything went downhill from there. So what happened? See, David had lost sight of his calling. God did not bring David from the pasture shepherding sheep to the throne of Israel to sit on the couch. He should have been out to war. He should have been living out his calling. And maybe there's some area in your life where you are sitting on the couch when you should be out to war. You are sitting on the couch rather than fulfilling your calling as a man or a woman of God. Maybe you need to go to war for your family. Maybe you need to go to war for your marriage. Maybe you need to go to war for your finances. Or go to war for your purity. But you are sitting on the couch. You see, David had gotten comfortable. From chapter 7, where Nathan first has an interaction with David, to chapter 11, where David sees Bathsheba, there is no further mention of Nathan being in David's life. There's even a list in chapter 8 of David's top officials and his advisors, and there is no mention of Nathan anywhere. You see, David had isolated himself from the wise counsel and encouragement of Nathan. He cut out the one person who best spoke into his life, and in that isolation, without Nathan speaking into his life, he falls into the depths of of his depravity, just as all of us would and do. Thankfully, God in his rich grace and mercy brings Nathan back into David's life and he uses him in a mighty way to point David towards forgiveness and towards reconciliation and bring David back to his calling. Is there a Nathan in your life that you have been shutting out? whose counsel that you have been ignoring? If so, I beg you, stop immediately. The next step you take without that counsel in your life could send you directly off a cliff. Conversely, is there someone that you need to be a Nathan to? 
Maybe God has gifted you with encouragement and with wisdom. And God is going to use you in a mighty way in somebody's life to save them from a lifetime of hurt and pain and regret. You see, your relationships are taking you somewhere. Are they leading you toward a stream of life where your roots grow deep and bear fruit? Or are they leading you closer and closer to the edge? See, maybe you aren't a David, but what's stopping you from being a Jonathan? From pouring into and equipping someone else to live out their calling, to strengthen their hand in God and remind them of God's promises. Or what's stopping you from being a Nathan, from reminding someone and encouraging them and challenging them to become what God has called them to be, and even when they screw up and everything seems lost and there's no way that they could go back to things were before, you draw them and beckon them back into the rich and unending grace and forgiveness of God. Now maybe this morning you're saying, I don't have a Jonathan. I don't have a Samuel or a Nathan. But there is one relationship greater than all of those that formed David into the man that he was. The single most formative relationship that David had was with his heavenly father. This was the one relationship out of all of them that challenged him and changed him and molded him into a man after God's own heart. David devoted himself to cultivating an authentic relationship with his heavenly father. This is the first relationship that David really put the time and effort into. When David was a young boy shepherding sheep, he would spend the long hours contemplating God's laws, meditating on God's character, on his righteousness and his justice. Psalm 119 is is one of the psalms that David wrote, and it's not only the longest of all the psalms, it's actually the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And you can go, you cannot go more than a few verses without David mentioning God's law or his righteousness or his justice or the testimonies to his character and how they formed and shaped David into the man that he was. You can read the longest chapter in the Bible and it is all about how God's character and meditating on his law and who God is shaped and changed David. I don't know that I'd be able to say the same thing. David worshipped him and prayed to him. The entire compilation of the Psalms is David pouring his heart out to God in worship and in prayer. He had such an amazing and intimate relationship with his heavenly father. See, before David had Jonathan, before David had Nathan or Samuel speaking into his life, David was pursuing hard after God. Before those relationships, David was putting in the work to his own relationship with his heavenly father. And maybe this morning you think that you have nobody, not even the support of your own family. Let me encourage you. You're in a David kind of position right now. No family, no friends, no love. You are all alone shepherding sheep. But if you would spend the time and the effort to meditate on God's law 
and his word, to believe the promises that God has for you, to believe in his justice and his righteousness and his goodness. And if you would take the time to cultivate that relationship with the heavenly father, the trajectory of your life can change in a heartbeat. So you might be starting in the pasture, but devote yourself to knowing God and you will be headed to a palace. You might be starting in the pasture, but you are headed to the palace. Now that palace might not be on this earth. If it is, invite me. It will be a great time. (laughs) But there is no palace greater than that of our heavenly king. The palace where Jesus himself is sitting on the throne of heaven and he says, come. Sit with me as an heir to the throne of heaven. So you might be starting in the pasture, but you are headed to the palace as an heir to the throne of heaven. So you might be in the pasture right now and the only place to turn is to God. Listen to me, that's a good place to be. That's a place that turns a boy or a girl into a man or a woman after God's own heart that has a massive anointing to do damage to the darkness and to build his kingdom. Now I know that I've been speaking this whole time about how you might not be a David. And maybe you believe that this morning. But you ready for the real truth? There's no difference between you and David. You are no different than David. And you might disagree with me and you might say, well, of course we're different. David had all of these things going for him. He, he was this amazing king and he had all of these friends around him that poured into him and shaped him into the man that he was. Samuel came and anointed him as king. You really think I am worthy of being anointed as king? Yes, David was anointed, but who anointed him? Well, I just told you that Samuel did, but I don't have a Samuel coming around to anoint me. And even if there was, there is no way that I would be the one that he would choose. And that is a lie directly. David David was anointed with oil by Samuel. But it was the anointing of the Spirit that made David a powerful and effective king. It was the anointing of the Spirit that made David great. It was the anointing of the Spirit that made David into the legend that he is. And if you are living in a relationship with Jesus and you are walking in step with him, you are filled with that same Spirit. Isn't that ridiculous and amazing to think about? I know we we talk about how the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you, but sometimes I doubt myself and I'm like, that doesn't apply to me. He was Jesus. David was a very broken man. The same spirit that made David great is the same spirit that lives in you. Thousands of years ago, a king that was great and was named a man after God's own heart was filled with the same spirit that is currently living inside of you.
Yes, David was an exceptional man, but only because he had an exceptional God that calls people out of where they are into something greater, that calls people out of the pasture to the palace. And through the filling of his spirit, he gives in abundance all of the power and all of the ability that is needed to fulfill that calling. Listen, you are no different than David. We tend to set biblical characters, especially ones like David, on this pedestal. Where they've reached such a level of intimacy with God and such an ability to fulfill his calling in their life that there is no way that we could ever attain it. That's another lie directly from the devil. You are no different than David. There is no pedestal. But there is a cross. There's a cross where the king of the universe, the eternal king, shed his blood for you. Where his blood was spilled for your sins. Where all of my filth and insufficiencies were exchanged for his perfection. Where your destiny changed from destruction to abundant life. Where your pasture turned into greatness. Where your seemingly purposeless life was giving the greatest calling imaginable to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Don't live in the shadow of a pedestal. David's or anyone else's. Heaven forbid that somebody would put me on a pedestal. Don't live in the shadow of anyone's pedestal. But live on your face before the cross. And you will see not how great you can be, but how great and how loving and how merciful and how gracious and how good the God you serve is. The God who is calling you out of a pasture and through a relationship with him and through the filling of his spirit is calling you into greatness. Is calling you to be an heir to the throne of heaven. You see, your relationships are taking you somewhere. Where are your relationships taking you? Are they leading you towards a stream of life Are they leading you towards a deeper relationship with your Father? Are they leading you towards the throne of heaven? Or step by step, are they leading you into destruction? Where are your relationships taking you? Let's pray. Father, thank you, like your son, who's like me. Lord, what grace, what mercy that you would have on someone like me. That you would die for my sins, that you would make me perfect through your blood. And not only that, but you would heap so much blessing on my life and give me a calling so great. 
and entrust something like that to a broken man. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. I pray that through that filling and through pouring into a relationship with you, that you would mold us and shape us into men and women after your heart. Lord, give us a massive anointing to build your kingdom, to see your name made great. Father, thank you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.